As we turn newspaper pages or browse the internet, we can't help but see that we live in a world of brand recognition. Something is always being marketed in front of us, and the better job they do at marketing, we seem to be put in even more. And as we are put in more, we give them even more of a platform because we're wearing their gear and we're going to their stores. There is a, a much brand recognition going on in this world. And for some of the most popular products on the market, if you simply mention their name, people would recognize exactly what you're referring. If you just mention Prada, you already know. You just mentioned Ralph Lauren, you already know. You mentioned Nike, you mentioned Coach, you mentioned Porsche. You already know what's going on just by hearing their name. But we've gotten to the point in our society, we don't even got to hear names. We just need to see the logo. Some products are so recognizable, you don't even have to say their name. Just seeing their logo causes you to know who they are. Who we got? What is that? Apple. Facebook. Jordans. McDonald's. Boy, that's a parent's favorite place during the week. Lord knows. We don't even have to hear their names, but they have so much brand recognition. We know everything that they're about already. We know that uh, by, by wearing some of this gear, it brings us some sense of identity. It brings us some sense of recognition, just how people respond to, oh, there's some nice shoes you got on. Is that a new watch? Is that a new car? And we, we receive some type of recognition, some, some sense of identity when we have these brands or when we see these brands. But beloved, when it comes to name recognition, there is one name that is above every name. And if we were to show you this, the symbol of a cross, what, would, what name would come to your mind? At the cross, we, we consider Christ Jesus. When the cross is on display, we, we see it as the symbol of the one who died for our sake. The one who came and, and, and lived a life that we could not live, and he died the death that we deserve. And, and by his grace, he has carried us from the pits and, and brought us to his bosom, and he is reconciling us to the Father. When we think about the cross, we can be reminded about the sin that the Lord has taken from you. For the word of Scripture reminds us that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. When we think about the cross, we are reminded about how our Savior was beaten, how he was mocked, but yet how he hung his head and died for you and for me. And beloved, though Jesus is so recognizable in the cross, today there still is much confusion of what it looks like to be a Christian. There's much confusion of what it means to be identified with Christ Jesus. Where there's no ambiguity with some of these other uh, market icons like Apple or Facebook, there seems to be some type of ambiguity of what it means to be a Christian. Some define being a Christian by what they don't do. We talk about this often. And, and there, there are, are individuals who, who think they're a Christian because I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't gamble, I don't cuss, 
Some of us are like, uh-oh, am I saved? I don't, I don't wear pants to church. I don't hang with sinners. And, and we define the Christian life by what I don't do. But then some of us, we, we and others define being a Christian by what they do. I go to church. I, I read my Bible. I, I, I give and I take care of those in need. I, I speak in tongues. I, I worship on Saturday. I love all people. I hang with sinners. And, and there's this idea that we can define what it really means to be a Christian. But, beloved, I'm so glad that even though the voices out there are loud, we have one voice that really tells us what it means to be a Christian. Because in all actuality, being a Christian is about listening to the voice of Jesus over everybody else. That's what it means to be a Christian. So even in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, folks trying to, trying to figure you out, or trying to see where you belong, we know that if we just simply listen to the voice of Jesus, he will remind us and he will teach us and he will show us what it means to be a Christian. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it plain for us what it looks like to, to be Christian. And the blessings that flow out of this countercultural identity, this countercultural lifestyle. When I think about how Jesus is laying out what it means to be Christian, I intentionally take out the A and not say a Christian. I don't, I don't want us to think about being a Christian as in the noun sense. I want us to think more of the adjective or I just make it up a verb because I want it to be more action-minded. To be Christian is not just an identity that I walk in a room and tell people I am. To be Christian is to walk in a room and by the way I talk and by the way I walk and by the way I respond, people will know there's something different about me. There's something different about how they process what's going on. There's something different about where their hope lies. There's something different about where their confidence is. And beloved, Jesus is teaching us from the Sermon on the Mount what it means to be Christian. Not to be church folks, not to be religious, but Jesus so ex uh, explicitly and exquisitely shows us what it means to be a Christian. As Jesus goes up on the mountain, the giver of the new law, as God gave the law to Moses, the new and greater Moses. Jesus sits there and he begins to speak. And Jesus begins the whole class. He's the professor over all professors. And Jesus, he, he begins to instruct his disciples in this course called Christianity 101. You know, when you go to college, that's the basic course, 101. See, he wants us to understand one-on-one before we can go to 102. There's some prerequisites in order we have to hit before we can try to move on. And Jesus wants us to understand, before you can really live this life, you need to be this life. This is Christianity 101. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus touches on topics and subjects such as Christian influence. He has a section on Christian righteousness. Christian piety, that, that devoutness, devotion. Christian ambition, what should motivate us and what should drive those who belong to Jesus. Christian relationships, how do we interact with one another? And also Christian commitment, what does it mean to be founded on the rock, 
Jesus Christ. But this morning, we see that Jesus is teaching on the subject of Christian character and kingdom living. That's, our, that's the subject for the, our whole study in the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about kingdom living. What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? And what does it look like for a citizen to exist and live in the kingdom of heaven? Because the kingdom of heaven has different rules than the kingdom of this world. In the kingdom of heaven, you don't just try to get in where you fit in. In the kingdom of heaven, you try to observe and obey Jesus' voice. The Sermon on the Mount begins with these 12 verses commonly called or referred to as the Beatitudes. Early on, and, and for most of my life, I would hear the, the term the Beatitudes and, and think, well, these things you're supposed to be. Well, that's not so much where the name Beatitudes come from. It actually, they're actually named for the transliteration of the Latin word Beatus, which itself is a translation of the Greek word Makarios, meaning happy, blissful, fortunate, or flourishing, or blessed. That's why in, in certain translations it would say blessed are. In certain translations they would say happy are. In one comment, commentator's translation he, he writes it as flourishing are. So the Beatitudes are named for that Latin word but, but what they remind us of is the connection that Jesus has with the Old Testament. What Matthew was showing us all throughout the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is not, he's not disconnected from the Old Testament, but he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the one, he is the new and greater, and he is bringing all things together. He is fulfilling the scriptures. Turn with me to Isaiah, the 61st chapter. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, it is, it is easy to see how this text launch, from the Old Testament actually launches us into the Beatitudes within the New Testament. Isaiah, the 61st chapter, verses 1 through 3, and it reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. When we look at the, at the Beatitudes here in the Sermon of the Mount, this, this text in Isaiah is an extension of, of what the prophet is saying that when Jesus comes, he's going to do something amazing in the lives of his people. Those who were poor will be rich. Those who mourn will be comforted. And those who are in need of righteousness will be filled. We see the same here throughout this 
text of Scripture. But in order for us to really understand what Jesus is talking about here in the Beatitudes, we must ask ourselves one question, and that question is, what does it really mean to be blessed? I mean, we've heard before, how you doing today? I'm blessed and highly favored. What's going on in your life? I'm too blessed to be stressed, baby. And, and we have those, those catchphrases and those sayings, which in themselves have truth. There is truth in those sayings. And, 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 and if you say, I'm, a, I'm not saying stop, but there's a reality to that, that we have to understand that God is blessing us. And what do you think of when the word blessing is mentioned? For most of us, we would think of material possessions. The Lord blessed me with a house. He blessed me with a job. He blessed me with money. We, we, we think of things coming to us, and those are blessings that God gives. Because the text of Scripture reminds us every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. He is the giver of all good gifts. So we think about material possessions, then we think about things like physical health. How, how are you feeling today? I'm blessed. I could be worse, but, but, but I'm blessed. Then we also think of things like safety. It was a blessing that we got here this morning in spite of the weather conditions. So when we think about blessings, we often have the idea of God pouring out upon us and us receiving. And that is how we should think about blessings, but, but there is more. Because unfortunately, we have equated being blessed to being happy. And happiness is very subjective, whereas the blessings of Christ Jesus are objective. Those in Christ, we are blessed even when we ain't happy. We're blessed even when things aren't going right. We're blessed even if we did get an accident. We're blessed even if we did have a flat tire. We're blessed if we don't have a job. We're blessed if all chaos is happening. We're still blessed. So blessings aren't equated with happiness. So the definition of what we think blessings are actually goes deeper. There's truth in those definitions, but, but Jesus has something deeper in mind. Here in the text, we suffer from the lack of depth in the English language. And the, a perfect example of that is you have heard many times the, the word love in the English language is, is pretty shallow, but, but the word love in this original language, it has different aspects. It has uh, the phileo love, brotherly love, agape love, unconditional love. There, there's different aspects of that one word love in the English language. And the same is happening here for this word blessed. In the, in the English language, it can, it can seem pretty flat. Matter of fact, it, it, it can seem pretty much how we use it all the time. Just kind of haphazardly. Oh, I'm blessed. But there is some depth to this word here that the English language just doesn't allow us to get to. But what this word really begins to, to, to speak of is, is, is not just a top-down type blessing. Jesus acknowledges and wants us to understand that blessings come down from the Father. And when you are obedient, there are some blessings that come to you because of your obedience. But yet, 
blessing in this text is not just a top-down blessing, but Jesus is teaching us about an inside-out blessing. We're blessed because God is in us. For those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, we're blessed because the Holy Spirit lives within us. The blessing is not just the stuff that I got on the outside. The blessing is who I got living on me on the inside. God chose to use your broke vessel. He chose to live in you. Didn't God know how you used to talk? Didn't God know how you used to walk? Doesn't God know how you may act today? But yet, in spite of who you are, in spite of what I have done, God chose to bless me by indwelling me with his Holy Spirit which he promised to all those who were believers. So, beloved, the, the, the true blessing is not just what I possess on the outside. The true blessing is that I have fellowship with the king of the universe. I have fellowship with the Lord of lords and, and the one who is above and preeminent, the one that, that, that no one can compare to. I have fellowship with him. You know, when I th- think about fellowship, it's not just we sitting down having a meal together. Fellowship, we, we walking through life together. God is, is walking with me and he's, he's talking with me and no matter what's going on, God is keeping me and he's, he's carrying me and he's, he's lifting me up. To, to have fellowship with God is this sweet sense of community, communion with God. So the blessing is the fact that I now, because I have repented of my sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, I am now a recipient of the covenant promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm part of the family now because because God came and got me. I wasn't looking for him, but he came and got me. And he came and snatched. Did God snatch you out of some stuff? He done snatched me out of some stuff. When I when I think back at what God was doing in my life, I wanted to act like a fool. I was trying to act like a fool. But one night, Jesus says, he snatched me up out of my mess. He said, you don't belong here. I got a, a new kingdom for you. And he snatched me up out of my mess. That's a blessing. He chose to dwell in something so so puny and something so temporary. That's a blessing. And then he gave me access to the kingdom. Ha! He didn't just let me in the door. He gave me keys to the treasury. Because the text says all riches in Christ Jesus belong to me too. He's given me everything I need. So because God has given me everything that I have, I have right now, everything that I would need, and the Beatitudes, guess what he's calling us to do? He's saying just be a Christian. You ain't got to keep adding to yourself. Just be Christian. Be who I've crafted you and made you to be. Be who, before the foundation of the world, he made blameless and holy before the throne. Just be Christian. When we look at this list of of virtues and characters, we're not trying to, to, to do these things in order to receive acceptance from God. We're trying to be these things because we have already been accepted by God. 
to be blessed then is it's a way of being in the world that results in true flourishing. Flourishing. Like a plant that's just fed and well watered. Not lacking anything, just able to sprout. Just able to grow tall. There's no hindrance to this flourishing. And that's what God wants for us. The Beatitudes are not a list of to-dos. We, we historically and even personally, I have preached the Beatitudes in a way that you need to do this in order to receive the blessings. That's how we normally hear, you need to be poor in spirit to be blessed with the kingdom of heaven. You need to pursue and be and work your hardest to, 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 to be someone who mourns in order that you will inherit the, the kingdom. You, you need to, to be uh, someone who is merciful. You need to be hungry. and you, you, you need to do these things. And that's how I've experienced this in the past. But what the Lord is revealing is the only way I can be these things is because what he has birthed within me already. So I'm not being in order to be accepted. I'm, I'm being because I have been accepted by Christ. I'm not working for, I'm working out of. Because we cannot secure our own accord. We can't secure our own salvation. But we have received it as a gift from the Father. So the Beatitudes, they're, they're, they're not a list of to-dos, but the Beatitudes are the blessings of being Christian. Being a Christian is not what you look like on the outside, but what you look like on the inside. Because it's easy to look like a Christian on the outside. And some of us have been there. It's easy to act like a Christian. And it's easy to make people think you're a Christian. And it's easy to gain acceptance in a community of Christians by how you act on the outside. But God doesn't care. Uh, uh, he's, not, he's not judging whether you belong to him uh, by what you look like on the outside. He is deeply concerned about your heart and what's going on on the inside. If you don't believe me, look at what Jesus says. Turn with me to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 12. Jesus, through the author, is telling us, he's saying, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He is saying the word of God can sniff you out. The word of God knows who you really are. The word of God is like an x-ray machine, letting you know about why you really do what you do, why you really go to church, why you really say that to them, why you really feel like this, or why you, he, the word of God is able to to, to discern what's really going on in your heart of hearts. Not, not what you're showing on the outside, but what's really going on on the inside. And then he finishes up in verse 13, and he says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You hear what I said? We all got to give an account, and we ain't going to be able to hide nothing. We ain't going to be able to hide nothing. Like a kid in school caught cheating trying to hide the evidence. 
trying to get rid of it. So don't nobody it. Nah. When you stand before judgment, you will, you will stand naked before God exposed. He knows what's really going on on the inside. You can act like you saved on the outside, but, but Jesus knows what's going on on the inside. So Jesus knows what's really going on on the inside. And beloved, I, I dare say, I think you know what's really going on on the inside. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians right quick. 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, last chapter of that book. And I love this text of scripture. I use it often in just helping people to, to understand what it means to be a Christian. And, and part of being a Christian is sometimes you got to examine yourself. Sometimes you got to give your salvation the sniff test. Y'all don't front. Y'all know what the sniff test is. Y'all walk, y'all about to walk in somewhere, you be like, and then and you know, you, you know, you'll do a quick on a, or, or you about to talk to somebody, you be like, that, you, you need to give your salvation a sniff test sometimes. And Paul is laying out for us, and he says in the, in the fifth verse, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. He, he's not saying let somebody else test you. Test yourself. You know if you saved or not, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? What he's saying is you test yourself, and if you don't see Jesus, then you don't belong to him. If you test yourselves and all you can see is what you want, your bad attitude, you wanting to get your way, and you only see your pride and your bitterness and your gossip and your, if all you see is you and you don't see the Jesus working in you, then what does he say? He says, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. See, that's the test. The test ain't whether you came down and said a prayer and was baptized. The test ain't whether you, you was at home and said the sinner's prayer. The test ain't how I think about you or what others think about you. The test is, do you know Jesus for yourself? Because if not, you certainly fail. So what Jesus is getting at here in the Beatitudes, he's saying, be Christian. Being reveals the means of grace produced by the work of the gospel. When you're able to be Christian, that's a result of the gospel at work in your life. When you're able to exude a spirit that is full of meekness, when you're able to exude a spirit that is a peacemaker, when you're able to exude a hunger and thirst, not because I'm trying to be saved, but because I am saved, what the text is telling us is that the gospel has been working in your life in some way that now what was sown is being manifested in your life. That's why the spirit, uh, uh, the, the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You can't manufacture those things. They need to come up out of you. Why? Because you're simply being Christian. The Beatitudes are an invitation to become. What Jesus is saying is, when you belong to me, this, this, is, you, this, this is the tremendous privilege of who you get to be. 
you get to walk in a way that brings blessing. You get to grow in a way that people will be drawn to you. You get to become, you get to realize your potential. Because it's not you who's doing the work, but me working in you and through you. So the Beatitudes, this is, this is an invitation to become. If anyone ever told you that you wouldn't or you couldn't, when you come in Christ, he's saying, yes, you can. You can be a faithful follower. You can put that down. You can give that up. You can turn your eye. You can obey because I'm working in you so that you will become Christian. But then the Beatitudes are, are not just an invitation to become. They're, this is an invitation to belong. He's saying, come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. Like you struggling trying to make something of your life, come to me. I'm going to make something of your life. You, you trying to work to change yourself so everybody like you. Well, if, if he, he said that if I was just nicer, he would go out with me. Well, she said that if I got my six-pack of abs and was stronger, she would like me. See, Jesus ain't saying I, I, I need to change you before I marry you. He's saying, come to me as you are. Isn't that great to be accepted in all your mess? Like, like Jesus know your mess. Like, like he, he knows your thoughts. He, he knows the mess you're thinking about getting into. And yet he still says, I want you. I, I want you. In spite of ourselves, he says, I want you. This is an invitation to belong. Come to Jesus. And he will give you rest. I love Jesus. Jesus preaching this sermon just shows us how much he cares about us. He's not sitting in heaven on high ready to smack us when we get it wrong. He, he, he came down to live so he can help us up. I completely understand John 4 when the lady, the woman at the well runs back to the town and says, come see a man who told me all about myself. He knew I was toe down. He knew I was broke up. He knew I, I had all kind of baggage. and he, he knew my issues. He knew my challenges. He knew, he knew my failures and he knew my faults. And he still says, come and drink. Come have some of this living water. That's the Jesus we serve. He's awesome and amazing in the sense that he loves us in spite of ourselves. And he says, come to me. And what I love about the Beatitudes is that as he is speaking, Jesus, he's doing two things. When Jesus says, blessed are, he is making a declaration and a decree over your life. When he says, blessed are, he's, he's, he, he's declaring to you, you're blessed. He's, he's helping you understand, don't, don't get it twisted. The world has a, has a wrong sense of blessings. See, the world says if you got a million dollars in your bank account, oh, you blessed. The world says if you got that, that nice car outside in a fat house, you blessed. 
And the world says if you got a beautiful wife or a handsome husband and, and children, oh, you blessed. But Jesus comes and says, you already blessed because you came to me. This is a declaration. He's reminding us, you blessed. That it don't matter what nobody else say, you blessed. And he's saying, receive that to yourself because I said it. And the other side of it is a decree. Jesus says, now you can't work this blessing out yourself. I'm going to make it happen in you. He says, he says uh, hey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But then the next verse says, it is God who works in you and through you to accomplish it. He's saying, it's a, baby, it's a win-win situation for you. My blessings is win-win. I'm not only going to say you blessed, I'm going to make you blessed. And you're going to walk in it. And, and my word is true. I'm not a man that I shall lie. Can't nobody take away a Jesus decree because he's king of kings and lord of lords. There's no other voice that can declare a higher decree than he. Like that bumper sticker, if Jesus said it, I believe it. Here we go again. I did all that to say. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We'll walk through these the next few weeks, but I just want to bring to your attention this first beatitude. Because this first beatitude is one of the most important beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What Jesus is saying in the beatitudes is that we need to be needy. Be needy. And if truth be told, we don't like needy people. Needy folks, they, they call you all the time. They, they, they show up all the time. They, there's a sense of, why are they calling me all the time? Why can't they call somebody else? And there's a sense of they have this total dependence upon you. And we really don't like needy people, so when it comes to our own lives, we don't like being needy ourselves. But what Jesus is saying is, he says, in order to walk with me, in order to be my disciples, you got to give up that pride and I can't nobody help you. Because really, you got to acknowledge who you really are. We needy. Remember who Jesus is talking to. He, he just healed the epileptics. He just, he just cast out demons. He just healed diseases. All of those people who were cast aside on the margins of life, these are the people Jesus is talking to. So they know what it means to, to be needy. They can't get a drink of water unless somebody carry them. They can't bathe themselves unless somebody pick them up and wash them. So Jesus is speaking to all people who can relate. They know what it means to be needy. And beloved, if you and I were really honest, we know we're needy. We just don't act like it. We're really needy. But Jesus says, that's exactly who I came for. I came for weak followers. Not the best of the best. I came for the worst of the worst. Now, certainly when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, there is an economic uh, 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 portion to this. He is, he is speaking to the economically oppressed. He's speaking to the poor, the materially poor. When you're sick and with leprosy and 
and, and epilepsy. You, you can't hold a job. He's, he's speaking to those who don't have anything. But really, Jesus is also speaking to the spiritually and emotionally oppressed. See, someone who is poor understand that they have no resources to help themselves. The weak and the helpless. When the text says, blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus, uh, you, you, can, you can think about a newborn baby. When I think about Eliza, having Ashley's baby shower today, and when Eliza came into the world, she couldn't do anything for herself. She had to be hooked up to a feeding tube. Being premature, she, she had to wait for somebody to change her diaper. She had to wait for a bath. She, she was completely dependent upon the nurses, the doctors, and her parents. Beloved, Jesus says, when you come to me, you got to give up. You think you know what's best for you. And he says, you got to come to me like a newborn baby. And you, you have to come completely needy, not trying to do it yourself. See, we get into so much problem as Christians because we're trying to fix it ourselves. And we try to do the work ourselves, and we try to make sense of it ourselves. But, but, but Jesus wants us to come to him like a newborn baby and be needy. Or maybe you've driven down the road and you've seen someone who is out with a sign there asking for money. Needy. That's how we have to come to Jesus if we have any hope of heaven. Jesus didn't come for somebody who thinks they got it all together. He says, I come to seek and to save the lost. So if we're lost, we need to stop acting like we're found and rest in Jesus. To be poor in spirit is to acknowledge your spiritual poverty, your spiritual bankruptcy before God. To be poor in spirit is to be like the prodigal son. The prodigal son just, he bucked up to his dad one day in Luke 15. He says, give me what's mine. Beloved, we show up all the time to church. We show up in our prayers and things ain't going the way we want to. And we say to God, give me what's mine. As if we deserve it. And the son says, give me what's mine. And the father says, here, you can have it. Go ahead. And the son goes off and, he, and he, he's having a good time. He's spending all the money. He's, he's making it rain. Everybody want to be his friend. Everybody want to hang out with him. And then all of a sudden, the money goes dry. And all his friends leave, and, and he finds himself in a pigsty, a Jew, in a pigsty, eating pig slop, a Jew. That is unthinkable. And, and, he, and then he comes to his senses, and he says, man, I got it pretty bad out here. I, I can just go back to my father's house and be a servant in his house, and I'll have it better. The son was humbled, and he comes walking down the road. He's preparing a speech in his head. So when dad comes out, I'm going to tell him I'm sorry, and I don't deserve it. I, I just, I just work. I just work as one of the servants out in the field. You ain't got to see my face because I know I've disappointed you. But when he shows up, the, the father welcomes him with open heart. The father runs out to him and he grabs him and he embraces him. And, and the son gets, gets ready to launch into his speech. And the father says, oh, hush up. Hush up, son. Don't, don't talk crazy like that. You home. He says, let me take care of you. Let me, let me give you some new clothes. Let me give you a ring. Let me, let's have a party because you, you've returned home. Beloved, when it comes to being poor in spirit, Jesus is saying, come home. You've been out there trying to, trying to have everything you want, and, and you fail miserably. He's saying, come home. 
You're at the end of your road. Come home. Stop acting like you have it all together. I, I know you, 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 you think you've disappointed me, but there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And he's saying, come home. Run to him. That's the poor in spirit. I know I've done wrong. I know I've been disobedient. But yet I'm going to come home. That's the poor in spirit. And what do the poor in spirit receive? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What did Jesus say in Matthew 4, 17? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To, have a, to be poor in spirit is to have a repentant heart. To be poor in spirit means you can't walk around and people can't tell you nothing. This is countercultural. Being Christian, it's completely different than the world. The world values self-confidence. The world values being full of conceit. The world values competence and being self-reliant. Beloved, too often we are like the world full of self-confidence, full of conceit, full of ourselves. One I was reading, doing research, and one author says it like this. I love this. He says, there's no sadder commentary on our lack of this spiritual poverty than the readiness so many of us have to let others know what we think. But the one who is poor in spirit is the one who has been silenced by God and seeks only to speak what they have learned in humility from him. Woo! I'm going to read that again. There is no sadder commentary on our lack of this spiritual poverty than the readiness of so many of us to, uh, to let others know what we think. Well, I think, well, you should. This is how I feel about it. You ain't listening to me. But the one who is poor in spirit is the one who has been silenced by God and seeks only to speak what they have learned in humility from him. Be Christian. What, what I ain't going to say what would the world, what would your world look like if you just obeyed this? Stop talking so much about what you have to say. Start speaking about what does the Lord have to say. He says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No one can be a Christian without being poor in spirit. You have to recognize that you're bankrupt and you have nothing to offer God. You think showing up to church is doing God a favor, then you have it wrong. God don't need you to run this universe. He's the one that said, let there be, and it was. But what we do is we show up before the throne of grace and we say, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And when we come to him, poor in spirit, we're blessed with the kingdom of heaven. We're, we're blessed with riches beyond compare in Christ Jesus. Be poor in spirit. In other words, be needy. Be needy on Jesus. Beloved, today, 
realize your spiritual bankruptcy before God. We have nothing that we can offer God. We have nothing that we can prove to God. Our bank account is depleted. We don't have anything. But yet, when you realize your bankruptcy before God, then Jesus helps you to realize the riches that he has. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the text of Scripture says that, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus came so you could be paid. You know how I used to go, more money, more money, more money. Jesus came so that you can be rich. But not rich in the sense of what's in your pockets, but the one who lives within your heart. And if Jesus is living and ruling and reigning within your heart, you have every treasure. And we now, I don't have to live out of an existence of what I don't got. I'm living out of the existence of what I already got. And now, since I'm living from the existence of what I already got, I can really walk out the fact that I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. It don't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what happens today. It doesn't matter what happens tomorrow. Because God is my all in all. So now when you show up and say you too blessed to be stressed, you better have a smile on your face because you got Jesus Christ backing you up. Be needy and be satisfied through the good news of Christ Jesus. Jesus is calling today. He's calling you today. And it's, the choice is clear. We will either be needy on him or we will be full of ourselves. And only those who are poor in spirit can have the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your faithfulness and for your word and the beauty in whom we have of Christ Jesus. Oh, as we look in the face of Christ, we see the radiant glory of our Father. And Father, we say hallelujah and thank you. Thank you that you love the poor. Thank you that you love the weak. Thank you that you give rest for the weary. So Father, we come now today, and I ask that you would help us to be Christian. For those here who have not trusted in you for salvation, Lord, move in their hearts this morning. May they accept this invitation to belong and to become. Father, we ask that you would continue to have your way in and through this worship service. We do love you and we do thank you. In Jesus' precious and most holy name we do pray. Amen.